0: Well, amen. It's good to be in church tonight. You agree? I know you don't normally meet at 5 on Sunday evenings. You don't normally meet, do you? Well, the good news is you're going to be out by 8 o'clock. Are you happy with that? (laughs) I'm not joking. Are you all okay with that? No, I am actually joking. It is a pleasure and a joy to be here this evening. Go ahead and take your Bible. Open it up to John chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading there at verse number 1. It's the story... Of the man by the pool of Bethesda, and he'd been there some 38 years. And I gotta tell you in advance that the entire message tonight, for the most part, is an illustration. It is a story of who we are waiting for God. Here's a man waiting by the pool of Bethesda, but if that's all there is to that, let's read it and go home. But the truth is, there are those today that are waiting on God. And the other truth to that is, God has already spoken. God has already given direction. God's already shown us what we need to see, or God's already told us something that we needed to hear. It's not as if we're really waiting on God. We just really don't want to do what God has already told us to do. And the second illustration is this. It's more than a message about the stirring of the water. It is about the stirring of the very presence of God, which, by the way, I believe has been happening in here the last few minutes. Anybody agree with that? That is that God's Holy Spirit is moving. That God's Spirit is stirring us and awakening us and speaking to us and opening our eyes and enlightening our understanding. God is at work. God is moving. God is speaking if we can get in a position to hear what He's saying. And so it's more than a story about a man by a pool waiting for the stirring of the water. It's about people like us that are waiting on God. It's more than a passage about the stirring of the water. It is about the stirring of the very presence of God. And dear Lord, how we need that tonight. Let's look together. John chapter 5, beginning there at verse number 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people. They're blind and lame and paralyzed, and they're waiting for the moving of the water. An angel of God went down into the water at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had had an infirmity 38 years. This morning we talked about the woman that had been sick for some 12 years. Can you imagine 38 years? I just want you to stop and think about that for a minute and imagine the time that's been consumed waiting by the pool, waiting for the stirring of the water. 38 years. Is that a long time for any of you? It's a long time. When Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, Do you want to be made well? Now, let's just don't run past that. What a ridiculous question you might begin to imagine, or at least I do. Here's a man that's been sick for 38 years, and Jesus asked what at least appears to me to be a little bit of a a ridiculous question. Do you want to be made well? Surely he does. Surely he wants to stand to his feet. Surely he wants to walk again. Absolutely. You know he wants to be made well, but do we really know that? Notice what He did not ask. Jesus did not ask, do you need to be made well? That was obvious. I'm not asking you tonight. Do we need revival? Man, that's obvious. Do we need refreshing? Absolutely. But do we want to be refreshed? Do we want to be revived? Do we want to walk with God? Do we want to know God in a way that we've never known Him? Do we want to be saved? Do we want to know the joy of the Lord? Do we want to know peace that passes understanding? Man, do we want to know God in a way that we've never known Him? It all hinges on what? The need is obvious. The sick man answered him, I sure wish the sick man had said yes, but he didn't. Sir, I have no man. It'd be easy to preach my way through this passage and I just have to stop there. What is your excuse and what is mine? Why am I not where God would have me to be? Why am I not doing whatever it is that God has been dealing with me about? In whatever direction God has sent me, why have I not gone? What is my excuse? What is it that I'm saying to God? He says, I have no man to put me in the pool when I'm coming While the water stirred up, another person steps down before me. Jesus said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Now the scripture following is another sermon for another day, but I do want you to look at verse 15. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus that had made him well. And by the way, it still is. I need to ask you tonight, what is it that God has been saying to you? How is it that God has been speaking to you? How is it that the Holy Spirit has been convicting you? What is it in my life that God continues to remind me of? What sin is the Holy Spirit convicting me of? Where is it that God is calling me? Where is it that God is sending me? Where is it that God is calling me to rise up and be a better man? Where is it that God is sending and calling, and what is it that He's showing me? What is it that God is saying to me? Am I willing to hear what God is saying to me? Do you want to be made well? I'm telling you, that's a $1,000 question right there. Do you want to be made well? what I learned a long time ago is you'll never get anybody saved that don't want to be saved. You'll never get anybody in church that don't want to get in church. You'll never get anybody revived that really doesn't want to be revived. And my experience over the past almost 40 years now of preaching is I've never seen a church experience real revival or refreshing that didn't want it desperately. Are y'all with me out there? What is it that God is showing me and do I desire that? Where is it that God is sending me and do I desire to go there? How is it that God is speaking to me? Is there a desire in my heart to know Him, to serve Him, to please Him? Do I really want, do I really want to please Him? Do I really want to be made well? The need, that's obvious. But here's something else. The man at the pool didn't say yes. I sure wish he had. I think it'd make for a better sermon, maybe. If he had just said yes, for 38 years I've been laying here. For 38 years I've lost my hope. I've lost any reason to believe that I would ever be made better. Yes! Man, I'm just convinced, friend, that many times all that God wants to hear from us is a yes. Yes! God, I don't understand, but yes! God, I don't know where this road is going to lead, but yes. God, I'm willing to take a step of faith, and I don't know exactly what the end looks like, but yes. Lord, I'll trust you, yes. I don't like what's happening, but yes. I'm going to believe you, yes. God, this is bigger than me, but yes. I don't comprehend it, but yes. If I could just sincerely give God a a yes. Amen. The worst thing you can do when God is showing you directly what you need to do is to tell God you'll pray about it. Are y'all with me on that? (laughs) Don't tell God you're going to pray about it. Good Lord, he's speaking. It's clear. Just tell him yes. The third thing that leaps off the page to me right off the bat is I don't believe Jesus ever intended to help him in the pool. That's another thing that he didn't say. He didn't say, can I help you into the pool? His intention was never to put him in the pool, but to get his eyes off the pool and get your eyes on your help. Get your eyes on your hope. Your hope is not in the pool. Your hope is not in the stirring of the water. Your hope is in me. I got to tell you, folks, I need to get my focus refocused. And that is I need to get it back on Jesus Christ and realizing that He is my hope. My hope is not in a place. My hope is not in a person. My hope is not in a denomination. My hope is not in religion. My hope is not in a man or in a name or in a power. My hope is in Him. He never intended to help Him into the pool, but to change His focus from the pool to the Lord Himself. What is it that God has been dealing with you about, and how long have you been waiting? How long have you been running? How long have you been rejecting? You said, I'm not rejecting God. Well, what is it that you're doing? How is it that God has made it clear to you the next step of faith and obedience? What door is it that God has opened for you to walk through? What is it that's been on your mind When you're reading the scriptures, what idea continues to come across your mind? When you're laying in bed at night and you know that God is dealing with you, what is it that God is saying to you in those hours? And you're driving down the road and maybe trying to drown out the voice of God? What is it that God is saying that's louder than whatever's on the radio? He speaks like that, doesn't he? He speaks like that, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He speaks very clearly. And you can try to drown him out with the radio. And you can try to drown him out at a ball game. But God is louder than the game. God is louder than the music. It is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And this is more than a message about the stirring of the water. It is a message about the stirring of the Holy Spirit. If this is just about water, let's read it and go home. But this is a picture of what we need in our churches today. It is a picture of what is happening, and many of us are denying how we need a Holy Spirit revival, how we need an outpouring of Almighty God. And I'm not talking about fanaticism and chaos. I'm talking about God moving in power, and those of us who are hungry for Him saying, Yes! Yes, Lord! how we desire an encounter with you as never before. It's not Baptist, it ought to be. We need Him. We need refreshing. What a great word that's been chosen for this meeting. We need reviving. We need to be brought back to life. And how is that going to happen? This thing with the stirring of the Spirit of God, what happens beyond that? It is the stirring of my mind that my mind is made aware of the presence of God. It is a stirring of my soul where I'm stirred to the point of desiring God. It is a stirring of my heart where my passions are revived. My mind is revived. My soul is revived. It is the stirring of Almighty God and how we desperately need that, but even more so Dear God, that you would revive the want to in us. Anybody ever have a bad case of don't want to? Anybody ever lied in church on Sunday night? I don't want to. Now this is just straight up blunt. If you're not reading your Bible on a daily basis, there's a pretty good chance the reason you're not reading it is because you don't want to because we do what we want to do and we don't do what we don't want to do now that's not psychology 101 that's just common sense I'm doing what I want to do if I'm not walking with God there's a good chance I don't want to if I'm not filling my mind with all that is good there's a good chance I don't want to that's why there's so much power in this simple question That's why it grabs me and kind of shakes me. Do you want to be made well? Surely to goodness He did. Surely, Brother Tim, you and I would think, Dear God, of course we want to be revived. Dear God, yes, of course we want to be refreshed. But do we really? Of course we trust God. But do we really? Of course we believe God. But but do we really? Do you want to? to be made well. Living in New Orleans on the seminary campus years ago, lived not too far from the train, 100 yards or so. These two guys know about the train. When you're first moving in, it'll jar you out of the bed. People come to visit. How can you sleep through the train? After about six months, I didn't even hear the train anymore. In our churches today, I'm afraid we don't hear the train anymore. We used to be stirred. There was a time when God moved us. We felt His power. We knew what it was like to be awakened, to be moved, to be convicted, to be bothered, to be agitated by the Holy Spirit. Some of us don't even hear the train anymore. I think one of the greatest tragedies possibly with this man that's been by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years is that maybe after 38 years he no longer heard the stirring of the water. Maybe when he was first there, he thought one day I'll get in. He thought one day I'll be made well. But now, 38 years later, does he even hear the stirring of the waters? And There's so much here that I don't know Tim, I wonder how far he is from the pool. I wonder the distance between he and the pool of Bethesda. It makes me want to ask the question, what is the distance between me and God? How close am I to him? Do I even hear the train? Do I even know the stirring of God's presence anymore? Do I want to be made well? I can tell you right now, I want to finish well, but I can also tell you I'm not finished. I want to live well. Whatever that looks like. You know, Dale Moody's one of my heroes. He was always winning people to the Lord, and he was always being criticized for it. And someone came up to Moody one day and said, Hey, we don't like the way you're reaching all these people for Christ and bringing them into church. And Moody said, well, tell me, how are you doing it? And they said, well, we're not. And Moody said, I like my way better. (laughs) I may not be doing it right, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do something for the glory of God. I'm going to be spent for Him. I want to be fuel in the lamp of God, as Jim Elliott said. I want to burn for the glory of God. I want to know that. I want to know some of the things that Jim Elliot knew. I want to know some of the things that a Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew. I want to know some of what D.L. Moody said. I want to know what it feels like to know him as they knew him. That desire must grow in me. I must feed it daily. How many people get near but never get in? My daughter's 25, but I can tell you for all the years that she lived in my house, she was known to go to the pool with no intention of getting in the pool. Are y'all with me on that? I mean, she's got a bag full of stuff to spray on. Y'all with me? She's going to roll out aluminum foil and lay on it for a while. Are y'all with me on that? She spreads out the aluminum foil. She sprays herself down with shake and bake. I don't know what it was. She's, She's about to lay out in the sun for a while, and she's going to rotisserie. She's going to be out there for a while laying by the pool. She's near, but she's not in. And it's a clear picture of where so many are today in their relationship with God. They're on the edge of commitment, but they've never got in. They're on the verge of surrender, but they've never surrendered. They're almost there, but they're not committed. How far is it that I am from where I need to be? My daughter's been near, but not in. But I'm telling you, folks, that's more than just a pool illustration. It's a picture of many of us. In our relationship with God one of these days. One of these days when i got more time. By the way, when's that going to be? Can somebody help me with that? One of these days when I'm a little bit older. This is a newsflash for some of us. Twenty years ago, when some of y'all were saying, one of these days when I'm a little bit older, you're there. You're there. For some of you one of these days when I retire, you're there. One of these days when I'm a little bit older, one of these days when I retire, one of these days when I got more time, one of these days when the kids are older, one of these days when the kid's graduate, one of these days when the grandkids grow up, one of these days when I'm not so busy, one of these days, when I'm not running to and fro, one of these days, when I got more time, one of these days, I'm going to do what God's telling me. One of these days, I'm going to get in. One of these days, I'm going to commit. One of these days, I'm going to surrender. One of these days, I'm going to be the man God's been calling me to be. One of these days, I'm going to surrender to the ministry. One of these days, I'm going to obey Him. One of these days, man, one of these days, I'm going to sell out. One of these days. Boy, this is blunt and to the point, but. It is what it is. One of these days I'm going to die. One of these days I'm going to breathe my last. I'm not going to be able to do any of those things. Dear God, for your glory, help this to be one of those days. Help this to be one of those weeks. I want to be spent for Him. That I might know him in a way that I would not otherwise know him. That I might know him out of obedience. That's why we pray tonight. It's more than a sermon about a man by a pool, it is about us waiting on God when we really shouldn't be waiting because God has already spoken. God has already clearly given us direction, God has already given us his word. God has already spoken through the working of the Holy Spirit. God has already spoken water. We're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. Amen. What is it? How is it? What I know is what's not stirred becomes stagnant. Dear God, may the Holy Spirit inside of me be stirred. God, stir my mind that I would desire to know you and have knowledge of you in a way that I never have. God, stir my heart. God, stir the zeal and passion within me. God, revive me. God, fill me with joy. God, may I know you in that way. May I desire you to go after you. Stir my soul. God, awaken my soul Awaken my character. Awaken my innermost being that, God, I might hunger and thirst after you in a way that I never have. Refresh me. I don't want to be an old stale Christian. Anybody with me? I don't want to be cantankerous and hard to deal with. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Again, please don't look around. I don't want to know who they are. I don't want to be that. me. Awaken my want to. Revive me. Refresh me. 38 years. Here's some points from the passage. He's a disabled man. He's not disqualified. He's disabled. Disabled by what? Well, we know that he has some kind of paralysis, but we also know that he has the ability to move some. That's this man at the pool, but what about us tonight? What is it that has disabled me? What is it that causes me to be unable to do what I know I need to do? What is it that has disabled me? I don't know about some of you, but I know that I have a pride problem. Anybody else have a pride problem? The reason you won't admit that you have a pride problem is because... Too many of us are humble and proud of it. Are y'all with me on that? (laughs) I don't have a pride problem. Yes, I do. One of the things that disables me is my pride. You may be disabled because of pride. You may be disabled because of the flesh, because of sin, because of anger, because of arrogance, because of disobedience, complacency, unbelief, and rebellion, and... Jealousy and the pride, the list goes on. What is it that has disabled me? What is it that has hindered me from obeying God? What is it that causes me to live in disobedience to the Lord Himself? This was a man who was disabled. He was not able. Sometimes I lie to myself, and sometimes I believe the lie I tell myself. ever lie to yourself? Like, you hadn't gained that much weight. Are y'all with me on that? (laughs) You're doing all right. You're a pretty good Christian. If you're not careful, you'll disable yourself with your own lies. I'm all right. I'm doing pretty good. I read my Bible every day. I do what I need to do. I go to church, read my Bible, I pray. And what you're, going to be, what you're going to end up with is a checklist, Christianity. And that'll disable you every time, because it becomes a form of legalism. Well, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't smoke, and I don't date those girls that do. Are y'all with me on that? I'm not hanging out with that. I don't live that life. And suddenly I'm disabled by my own prideful ways. He's a disabled man. But now he finds himself in a desperate place. The desperate place is the pool of Bethesda. What a great idea. It is the pool of mercy. It is the pool of grace. God's amazing, wonderful unhindered grace. Thank God for that. I like to think of this pool of Bethesda as a desperate place because you really got to be desperate to be there. You've got to be at the end of yourself to desire to get in. Oh God, that I might know your grace. Yes, God, that I might know the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, but oh God, that I might be desperate to the end of myself to desire you desperately. Welcome to the house of grace. Welcome to the grace place. Anybody ever needed grace desperately? Some of you in this very room tonight are the results of God's amazing grace. You were at the end of yourself. You were at the end of the road and you had no hope. Your family was there. Your marriage was there. Your prodigal was there. And not only was it your prodigal, some of you were the prodigal. But you are the result of God's amazing grace. You are the result not of the stirring of the water, but the stirring of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You are a result of forgiving grace. You are a result of the merciful grace of Almighty God. You are a result of sufficient grace. It is enough for whatever your sin and however great it might be. Welcome to the house of grace. What about all those prodigals out there? Is there enough grace for people like that? You better believe it. In fact, if there's not enough grace for them, there may not be enough for us. What are we going to do with all those prodigals? What are we going to do with all those folks that are at the end of the rope? What are we going to do with all those guys that have wrecked their lives? What are we going to do with all those prodigals? David Jeremiah tells the story of Bill, who had gotten saved on a college campus at a Bible study. And he decided the next Sunday morning that he would get up and go to church, something he had never done. He'd moved to a college campus. He'd gotten saved at one of those Bible studies. And he decided the next Sunday morning he'd go to church. He didn't have church clothes. He had flip-flops, cut-off shorts, tank top, and long, shaggy hair. Walked into church. The place is packed, there's nowhere to sit. It's a red brick building, got a nice pretty steeple on the top. As David Jeremiah says, Bill walked in nowhere to sit. He had never really been to church in his life, and so he did the only thing he knew how to do. He walked down to the very front and sat down on the floor right by the front pew, and every eye was on him. There's a bunch of deacons in the back, they begin to have a huddle. It's time to call a play, are y'all with me on that? What are we going to do with Shaggy? What are we going to do with that old boy? And he's sitting in the floor. He's got on flip-flops, got on shorts and a tank top. What are we going to do with Shag? And the oldest deacon broke the huddle and he had a walking cane and it took him a while to get down to the front pew, according to David Jeremiah. And when he got there, every eye was on the deacon and on Shaggy. And slowly but surely, the deacon put his cane down in the floor, and then finally made his way to sit down in the floor right beside Bill. Preacher stood to the pulpit and said, What I'm about to say, you'll forget. But what you've just seen, you'll never forget. What are we going to do with all these prodigals? What are we going to do with all these desperate souls? I tell you what we do. We open the front doors and we say welcome. We say welcome. Welcome and come on in. Welcome to the house of grace. Welcome to the grace place. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how far you've drifted. It doesn't matter how deep or dark or bleak your sin may be. Welcome. Welcome. To the house of grace. Listen, if they want to come in, who are we to keep them out? Disabled man at a desperate place with a great difficulty that he faces. And the difficulty that he faces is, I have no man. Boy, I've thought and thought about that idea. I have no man. And I begin to think in my own life, about the men and the women that have come along beside me and they've walked with me. I was born again at the age of 19. But even before the age of 19, thank God for those who came along beside me in my home church and they loved me and they prayed for me and they believed in me. And then when I took that step into the ministry at age 19, thank God for those who took me in, if you will. And they loved me and they gave me a little money and they helped me out with groceries and they guided my way. And honestly, they paid for my college and my seminary education. Thank God for people who came along beside me. I've had some wonderful men that have helped me. My One of my greatest heroes, we had dinner with him just the other night, Junior Hill. What a friend. I, don't, I didn't need another daddy, but I sure needed a junior. And he came, I had a man in him, and I still do. Man, I begin to think about Sunday school teachers. I had a Sunday school teacher long before I had a Junior Hill that loved me and believed me, believed in me and prayed for me. She invested her life in me. Thank God that I have had a man, I have had a woman, I have had those who loved me, prayed for me, and believed in me. But this is different. David had no man when he stood before Goliath, but he stood anyway. Joseph had no man when he stood before the Pharaoh, but he stood anyway. Daniel had no man in the lion's den, but he stood anyway. Stephen had no man when he was being stoned, but he didn't curse God or his enemy. Paul had no man when he stood before Agrippa, but he stood anyway. Jesus had no man when he went to the cross, but he went to the cross anyway. There will be days in my life when I have no man. There will be days in my life when it will just be me and Jesus. And when I have no man, Jesus is my man. He is my hero. He is my help. He is my hope. He is my conqueror. He's more than enough. When I have no man, he's my man. Amen when you have no man, he's your man. The pool. At the pool of Bethesda, he needed a man. He needed a miracle. But more than either of those, he needed a Savior. The fourth thing I want you to hear is the duration of his sickness. 38 years. My dad is 88 years old. He's in a nursing home. He has dementia. Most weeks when I go see him he's on a bus and I don't know exactly where he's going but I get on the bus with him every Thursday and we have good conversation on the bus he's usually going to school at least that's what he says he got saved when he was 53 and I won't ever forget it I'm the one that was out there that morning and led him to the Lord great 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 day in my life at 53 53 years he lived unsaved. And I thank God for all of these years that he's been a saved man. But I think about 53 years lost. How long have you been lost? How long have you been out of the will of God? How long have you been waiting for God to speak when he's already spoken? How long? Will you live in disobedience to God? How long will you run? How long will you rebel? How long have you lived in the far country out of God's will? How long have you been angry? Now why throw that in? Because I know a man that's not in church because he's angry. And he'll tell you straight up, I hate that man and I will never go back to church until I'm right. Hate is a powerful thing. How long will I live out of God's will? I remember visiting a dying man in the nursing home some few years ago. He was actually another relative, and it hadn't been too long ago, and I was sharing the faith with him. Don't you want to be saved? Don't you want to give your life to the Lord? Don't you know? You need to be born again, sharing scripture with him. And he said, Well, I guess you're right, but that's just something I'm going to have to think about. There's some things you don't need to think about. And if you're lost and you know you need to be saved, there's nothing to think about if I know that I'm like a prodigal in the far country, what is there to think about? If I know I'm running or living in some kind of rebellion against God and His will, what what is there to think about? Do you want to be made well? My, what a question. Do you want To be refreshed. Do I want, do I desire? Am I thirsty? Am I hungry? Do I want to be revived? Do I want to know Him and to walk with Him? I preach in a different church every week. Some weeks are really good, but most weeks are, quite honestly, if I just told you like it is, it's not really the spirit of revival. Good meetings good crowds, good fellowship. But where is the spirit of revival? A desire to know God. A desire to be refreshed. A desire to know Him and to walk with Him. A desire to experience an an outpouring and a stirring of the Holy Spirit. I'm not seeing much of that. I don't know it all, but I know what I see. Here's what I think. I think we need to begin refreshing on our knees. You say I can't kneel. We'll stand. But draw near to a place of prayer. Take somebody by the hand. Kneel and pray with someone you love. And if there's not enough room on the floor, this is a big stage. This looks like an altar back here to me by the way. There's enough room for all of us who want to. In this altar and in these aisles and on this stage to find a place and get with God. Refreshing begins in the presence of the Lord, and one of the best positions to be in is humbly on our knees. Will you bow with me as our musicians come forward, as we prepare to sing? My prayer tonight is that you want. That you want to be made well. That you want to be made whole. That you want to be right. That you want to walk with God. That you want to be refreshed. And I speak to you who are leaders in the church. Lead the way in being refreshed. Lead the way in confessing and repenting of sin. Lead the way in seeking the Lord. God, we're not at a pool of Bethesda, but we are in your presence. And how we desire to experience the stirring and the moving of the Holy Spirit We've we've done church so often without your presence, without acknowledging your power. I'm guilty. We're guilty. Refresh us here tonight. Men and women, young and old. Save us if we're lost, Father. Forgive us if we've drifted and failed. Restore us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand, and you come as the Lord speaks to your heart.